0: Lord, I pray that you would be God as we surrender and listen and obey more and more day after day, moment by moment. God, I pray that you would, we don't ask that you protect us from the very battles that you need us to fight, but that you would give us marching orders and eyes to see the schemes of the enemy. As the scripture says, that, that we will not be unaware of the, the devil's schemes. But that way you'll see them, armor up with the the armor of Christ that you talk about, um, and fight well. Together, arm in arm, as the army of God. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I'd like you to put yourself into the sandals of the disciples for a moment. You've been with Jesus for some three years, and you've, you've experienced all that that three years entailed. You've watched him in public, and you've watched him in private. And you have become absolutely convinced that he's the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. He's proved his power by casting out demons, even forcing them to speak, and then casting them out and obey his authority. He's healed the sick. He's opened the eyes of the blind, opened the ears of the deaf. He's restored lepers, even touching them, raised the dead. He's walked on water. He's calmed the storms. He's fed thousands. And he would walk right through the crowds when people tried to kill him. And you've been there for every moment of it. For three, he was transfigured in front of them with Elijah and Moses showing up. And so you're convinced. What more could he do? What more could he be? Because you've seen him in private and his integrity and who he is. And you've seen him in public and there's nothing more to prove. In fact, he even sent you out a couple of times from town to town to prepare the way so that when he showed up, people were ready for his arrival. And he told you to go, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, and you did. Raise the dead, and you did. Cleanse the lepers, and you did. Cast out demons, and you did. And so you've experienced his power in a limited way. Along the way, he's made some curious statements. None more so than this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that i do and greater works in number not in you know the depth of them or how profound they are but more in greater number will you do than will will you do because i'm because i am going to the father and as one of his closest followers you heard those words and you understood them intellectually but you couldn't quite comprehend what in the world he was saying How in the world would we, and why do we need to? Because Jesus is here. Mm -hmm. And I don't intend for him to leave anytime soon because he's supposed to set up the kingdom. He's the Savior and Messiah, after all. But now, you you can't quite grasp it, but you know something is changing. Because Jesus has said he needs to go to Jerusalem for some kind of showdown with the Jewish leaders. In your mind, it's to take over. But when you arrive in Jerusalem, he leads you in the Passover celebration. He pauses during the meal and washes your feet and gives you uh, and tells you that somebody's going to betray him and that he's going to die, which he keeps saying, but you can't understand what he means. And then he spends what we know of as the gospel of john chapters 14 through 16 giving you his final words before he goes to the cross words that are important to your future and of all the things he tells you the primary topic of his last words of the most of the he knows he's leaving and he knows he's this is going to be the end of it and so the words that he speaks now, his last words are priority words. And the topic is the Holy Spirit. Who the Holy Spirit is. What the Holy Spirit will do. How to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And at the core, perhaps the climactic statement of all is in John 16, 7 when he says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. It is to your benefit. It's best for you that I go away. Now, if you were in the place of the disciples, you probably would have responded like they did. How can it be good that you go away? We don't want you to go away. And by the way, where are you going? And and Jesus tried to explain. You, I know you don't understand, but you will understand when I come back. And it was also confusing. But this stuck in your crawl, it is to your advantage, it is to your benefit that I leave. How could it be to our advantage? Because we have the very person, of the Son of God, in the flesh, who's done all these things and could continue to do all these things and could continue to live forever if he chose to because he's above all things, Right? <laughs> He could have done that. So how in the world could it ever be better? And in fact, I've heard people say, oh, if if we could have just been like disciples and had Jesus in the flesh, and he could have explained, and and, as if that would be better, but here Jesus is saying, no, it's better that you don't. It's better that you have something else. And that's something else he goes on to say, for if I do not go away, the helper... And when we're reading that, I hope you notice that the helper, it's a name, it's a capital helper, it's a person, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the re- and, and just by the way, the reason he had to go away is because it's his spirit his spirit that was within him, that was confined to him in many ways until he dies. He defeats death and sin and fear and he goes to be back in the th- at the throne at the right hand of the Father. Those are Jesus' words. It is better. We are living in an era since the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost that is better than the 12 disciples when they were walking with Jesus. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Because if we really believe it, then the power that Jesus said um, and gave to those disciples to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to announce the kingdom of God with power and strength, to face death and be martyred, to go through difficult circumstances, all of that is still what He wants for us. But we have little point of reference for that now. I think the advantage that the disciples did have is they saw it in Jesus. So when the Holy Spirit came, they knew what they are supposed to be doing Mm -hmm. because they'd seen it. We need a fresh vision of what? Mm. How we're supposed to allow the Holy Spirit to live in and through us. Living with the Holy Spirit filling us and in control is better than being in the very presence of the human Jesus. That's what we want to talk about. Knowing and living in step with the Holy Spirit. So um, you'll need your Bible and the outline and fasten your seatbelt. Because (laughs) volumes have been written about the Holy Spirit. Volumes. And we've got uh, 30 minutes. So we'll, what we're going to try to do today is I'm going to zero in on, on helping us understand who the Spirit is, what He does, and then talk some about how, what, um, how, the work that he's, we're supposed to be experiencing as we cooperate with Him. And then in learning community this week, zero in on that last part, um, really strong. So here's, here's your assignment before learning community. Um, I want you to think of the commands um, in the scripture where your knee-jerk reaction is that's impossible. And and zero in on that. Because what God wants us to be experiencing through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is the impossible. For instance, uh, forgiving other people who have hurt you so deeply you think you never can. Mm-hmm. That's impossible. I mean, that's that's, that's the knee-jerk reaction. That's impossible. Without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible. Those are the kinds of things that I'm talking about, because I think one of the enemy's strategies is to get us to dismiss those things that God want, that we think are impossible, that God really, really wants to do in our lives. That's what the disciples experienced. So here we go. Anybody need a Bible? We got some Bibles in the back. We can share with the people, right? All right. So, knowing and living in step with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Number one, the person of the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit. Don't ever <clears throat> let me catch you saying when referring to the Holy Spirit, "it," because <laughs> the Holy Spirit is not an "it." The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is one. Of the three persons of God. So the person of the Holy Spirit, he is God. He is a person in the Trinity with all the attributes of God. So the Spirit that lives within us has all the attributes of God that we've talked about previously. When we talked about the Father, we talked about Jesus. He is Almighty God. He's, he was present at creation, at Jesus' baptism. Um, so very quickly, John 14, 16. Um, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. And I want you to notice how often in Scripture all three persons of God are mentioned. Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit. So when Jesus is saying I'm going to send you the Helper, I'm going to ask my Father to send you the Helper. It's all three of them involved. Um, Verse 26 says, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. 15, 20, John 15-26, when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. So He is God. He is Almighty God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, he's the active, invisible presence of God in the earthly realm. So this is His role. Um, we have the Father, and from the Old Testament all through the New Testament, we have the Father who is the invisible God, who is, and, and so you don't see him. We have Jesus, who's the incarnate, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and then the Spirit. Anytime you see the Spirit, talking about the Spirit moving, he's the active presence of God. John three eight, the wind blows where it wishes and, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit is, you can't see Him, but you can see His results. And so when we look around and we see lives being transformed, we know that's the Spirit of God. We can't see the Spirit, but we see the results of the Spirit. Um, which is why in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes to fill all believers he sends those symbols of fire and wind to make sure they understand what's happening. He's the presence of God within believers. He's Christ in us. Colossians 1.27 To them God chose to make known how great among Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the Holy Spirit. The riches of His glory is Christ in you. It is the Holy Spirit living within us. So, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's one of the Trinity. And don't ask me to explain the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Some things we have to accept because it's just so profound. Number two, the work of the Holy Spirit. With the greatness of Jesus, it's easy to miss the incredible work and the essential experience of the holy spirit living within us because jesus is great and so we focus rightly on jesus in the gospels but then from acts chapter 2 when the holy spirit god sends the father sends the holy spirit at jesus request and he fills the believers from that point on what we see is at work god at work throughout the book of Acts, through his spirit, through the, spirit, the same spirit that was in Jesus. And I think the enemy's strategy is to keep us focused um, off of that, on ourselves, on what we can do, but also to focus us on the abuses that have been done in the name of the Holy Spirit. If you have... Uh, I, most of you have probably been around... Long enough to hear people claiming to do things or be something by the spirit of God that doesn't align with the spirit of God. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Mm-hmm. People doing emotional things and saying, "Oh, well, I was led by the Holy Spirit," or "I was speaking for the Holy Spirit," and and they're and they're not. It's emo. emotional. And so, it's easy for us to go, "Well, that can, you know, God wouldn't do that." So. The, and then dismiss the work, the true work of the Holy Spirit. Don't allow the enemy to make you think that the Spirit isn't at work because somebody is abusing God's name. So, what does he do? He, so, his work at creation, he was there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the the waters. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has been acted. So from Genesis, and we see it all the way through. He's God's anointing power in the Old Testament and the prophets. So as you look at the Old Testament, when a king would be anointed, and and it would say the Spirit of God would come upon them to fill them. Prophets would speak in the name of Jesus because the Holy Spirit would fill them. But it was limited, it was selective. It wasn't for every believer, which is why the Israelites struggled so much. They didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Generally. It was prophets and kings and selected people. Um, the Spirit was the means of Jesus' conception. Have you ever caught this? In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, the, the Holy Spirit is the work of God in the world. And then he was active in, you know, in Jesus' incarnation, his preparation. He was in, in actually, in, in a couple of the Gospels, he's the first person of God to even be mentioned, it was the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Um, so as he was preparing the way, John the Baptist, was supernaturally born, conceived, but then even from the womb. It says, for um, John the, Bap- the Baptizer will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so the Holy Spirit was active, getting ready for Jesus to come. He was present at Jesus' baptism, had his temptation his ministry. So Jesus was 100% man, 100% God. He limited himself to the same resources that we have, so he needed the Holy Spirit's help. Here we let me read several scriptures. I, and so I put all of these references in in your um, in your sermon outline so that you can go back and check them, but I didn't have near enough space to put them all. So here we go. <clears throat> Luke 3:22, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. This was at his baptism. Like a dove and a voice from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. It was the reuniting of the three experiencing it together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 4 verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. It was the Holy Spirit that led him into the temptation to go toe-to-toe with the enemy. Luke four fourteen and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and a report about him went about through all the surroundings. So after he won that battle, he there was some the Holy Spirit was more powerful because he learned obedience by his his, his temptation, his struggle, his, by, by battling the enemy, he got stronger as a human being. And then verse, chapter 4 verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So it's the Holy Spirit involved all the way through the Old Testament, preparing the way for Jesus. And then when Jesus arrives, the Holy Spirit is there helping, working, directing, guiding. He was God's presence and power in Jesus' disciples. In uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 21, it talks about the, him, Jesus gathering. He sent out 12, and then later on he sent out 72 to go out, cleanse the, uh, cleanse the, the lepers and heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, cast out demons, all, all of this stuff. It, he was the power um, to make that happen. And then he was promised and sent by Jesus from the Father for all believers. Acts chapter 2, here, open your Bible. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place. This was all the disciples, 120 of them. And suddenly there was from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. That The wind wasn't the Holy Spirit. The fire wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was symbols of his presence. Because in the Old Testament, fire and wind represented the Spirit of God. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. What in the world does that mean? Does it mean He took out all their blood and put in new blood? He took out all of their organs and replaced them with Holy Spirit? No, it's not a physical In in Genesis, when Adam was formed, he was formed with a pure soul, perfect soul. When um, Adam and Eve decided to rebel and eat of the tree that they were instructed not to eat, their soul became sinful because they chose to rebel and everything turned upside down. From that point on, all of us were not born with a soul filled with God. So at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in, not only to, and it's not about forgiveness of sin, it's about transforming our nature from a tendency to go our own way to a propensity to go God's way. There's a transformation of our hearts and souls. A desire and a, an ability so that now we have a heart for God where we had a heart for ourselves. You can, you can still sin. You can still do it. But there's, there's something in there that is, will drive you back to God. That will give you sorrow that you never had before. Um, so Sometimes I talk to people and they go, you know, I could sin uh, and be a lot happier before I came to Jesus. Can you identify with that? I mean, when you're living in sin and you're going your own way, you're not even thinking about what, you know, maybe it curse, you, you, know, you probably shouldn't be doing this. But then you come to Jesus and then you do the same thing. And now you got this conviction and it, it's not even fun anymore. Because something has happened. There's the presence of God within us. And so he doesn't make us perfect what he does is he, tran- he, he, he kind of writes the soul a little bit so that we have a desire to please God and we, we can see things differently and, our t- our, we, and, and the more we surrender and the more we're filled because it's not a complete job of transformation, sanctification c- comes over a period of time, but we have this tendency, a desire to do what God wants us to do. And, a, and, and it makes us really unhappy when we're not. Does that make sense? So that's what we're talking about. In addition to that, there's a power and an ability to follow the, the nudges of the Holy Spirit to do things that we never thought we could. And it's not us, but it's the power of God doing it. And so when these, the, these um, uh, Christ followers were filled, suddenly, they, so they're hiding out in this upper room. They're going, okay, we gotta, we got to lay low because they crucified Jesus. They knew who we are. We were following him. So we got, we got to be careful that we don't bring any kind of attention to ourselves because this is, I don't know what's going on. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem, so we'll just wait, but I'm not going out. You go out for pizza. I'm not going out for pizza. You bring it back. I am not going to Chick-fil-A today because there might be a Roman soldier there. There might be a Pharisee there that sees me. I'm not doing it. I am not doing it. I'm going to stay over here. The Holy Spirit comes, makes all of this racket. And what we find in the, rest, in, in the following verses in this chapter is that there's so much noise, and they're speaking in all the languages of the people that are gathered in Jerusalem at that time, and there's so much cacophony that people are gathered around going, those people are drunk. And then Peter steps up, when he wouldn't go to Chick-fil-A, and now he stands up in front of everybody and shouts this incredible sermon, inviting people to Christ and accusing the Pharisees of killing Jesus, which will get you into trouble right away. What happened? Because the Holy Spirit came in them and gave them the power. It wasn't that in the back of their minds, they, it wasn't that, well, we'll never get killed. But the fear that they had before had been driven down and the power and the confidence they had in God and an understanding of what they were supposed to be about took over. Fear was still there, but it didn't have power anymore. That's the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter spoke in such eloquence that um, it, it could only be the Holy Spirit delivering on the promises that God had given them and one of those promises somewhere in here is when the Holy Spirit comes on you, he will bring to remembrance everything that I've said Amen. and so now what you, so last night I was watching um, it's a it's an old movie that Susan had pointed me to It's called the Acts of the Apostles and it's, it's basically just you know literally the acts just somebody reading the words of the Acts, the book of Acts, and then people acting it out. Um, and I don't know who the guy that is, Peter. I recognize him, but I couldn't figure out who he was. Um, and, I'm, and the eloquence of the speech doesn't match a fisherman. Right? It doesn't match the Peter that we know who used to stick his foot in his mouth all the time and say things that were just stupid Right? And and run in fear from this little servant girl. It it doesn't match any of that. And it occurred to me, it was the Holy Spirit that, that brought back to him the understanding of what Jesus had said all of those three years and gave him an eloquence of expressing it that wasn't about Peter. And I and I, I, I can almost imagine if Peter some of the people that grew up with Peter happened to be in the crowd that day. And they're standing over there listening to this guy going, that looks a lot like Peter. And it, and it sounds like his voice. He's about, to say, he's about the right age, but that's ah, not Peter. And it wasn't. It was the Holy Spirit working through Peter. Now, if, if, he does, if he did it then, he can still do it today. And I don't know how he wants to transform you, But there's nothing off the table because it's the same power of God. Another thing that I noticed as I was watching that last night is at the end of that um, sermon that Peter gives, his final promise is about the Holy Spirit. In fact, several times in his sermon, he mentions the Holy Spirit. And I didn't, I never noticed that before. But you get to Acts chapter 2, the verse, uh, where is it? In the end of verse 38, he says, uh, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's like he's leading up to all of this. You will be saved from your sins, repent of your sins. God will forgive you. Jesus died for your sins. But then what the, the ultimate gift then is you will receive the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you, your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. That includes you, the Holy Spirit, which leads us to number three, experiencing. What does it mean to experience living in step with the Holy Spirit? It's God With us. God with us. The power of God through his presence. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. The Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul says, "For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, according to the riches of God's glory, the riches of His glory is all the resor- I call it the resources of heaven. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His spirit in your inner being. Now catch that. God's desire for us in living in this world is to be filled with his presence so that we have power through, through his spirit within us, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's the spirit of God that brings Christ, because it's his spirit, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, um, according to the power at work, where? Within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. So so for a long time, as I would read that scripture, more than we can ask or imagine, according to his riches, his great... You know, I didn't didn't recognize, I didn't realize that it's according to his power at work here within us. That is transforming work within us. It's not out there. So when we're praying, we're praying to the Spirit of God within us. When his power is being given, it's not out there. It's here. It's the Holy Spirit working within us. How do we comprehend God's love? Through the Holy Spirit revealing it within us. How do we comprehend the truth? Through the Holy Spirit working within us. Which explains why you can sit across the table from somebody and try to tell them about God and about the truth and you just get this blank stare. Because it's not the words. If the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal it, if the Holy Spirit doesn't give them the ability to understand it, they can't understand. Because it comes from here. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't comprehend. That's why, so, why, why some of you have experienced people doing in Jesus' name and in the name of the Holy Spirit stuff that has nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with the Holy Spirit because they think they're following God. Some of them are sincere. They believe they're following God, but they don't have the work of the Holy Spirit within them. And so they're blind to what they're doing. When the Pharisees were helping to crucify Jesus, they thought they were protecting God because they didn't have the Holy Spirit working. It's the Holy Spirit within us. And then Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That is the marching orders of every one of us. And that's why you hear me quote that verse over and over and over again. That's knees and nudges. If you want to live your life With the Holy Spirit, it's this simple. Every day, surrender your life to God. Every day, turn over the authority of your life. And if you can get on your knees, do it. If you can't, do it some other way. And then, as you live the rest of the day, just pay attention to the nudges of the Spirit. Do the hard work of knowing the Scripture, do the hard work of fellowship and iron sharpening iron. But that's the bottom line. That's all he wants. That's what he desires. And that's what delights him. It's the power beyond the, the um, earthly realm to the supernatural. Um, he leads people to salvation. I mentioned this. Um, John 6.44, no one can come to the Father uh, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him. By the Holy Spirit. So um, for a long time I, I, you know, I used to say, well, how did you find God? And now I don't say that anymore. Mm-hmm. Because I realize that nobody finds God, God finds them. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we give ourselves way too much credit. When we think, oh yeah, I turned to Jesus one day. Yeah, but it was in response to His invitation. It was a response to His drawing you out of his love and somebody was praying for you and he drew you and you just turned around and there he was and you said yes. Nobody comes. That's why we have to pray for, you know, when I say who is your one? We have to pray because it's the spirit that will draw them. Um, and in John sixteen eight, it talks about he is the one. The Holy Spirit will convict the sin, the people of sin. He intercedes with the Father for us. In Romans eight twenty six twenty seven, 27. I will never get my mind wrapped around this. But I so appreciate it. Romans eight twenty six twenty seven. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. <laughs> so here's here's the deal. You're weak. Everybody say it together. I'm weak. No, you. Some of you said you're weak. Like it's me. No. Say I'm weak. Right. That you will never ever be strong in yourself. Ever. Ever. No matter how hard you. T- but you can be powerful in the Holy Spirit. Amen. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because, why? Because the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we ought to pray for. How, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so that has a couple of different uh, pictures. One is that we've got Jesus on the right hand of the Father that we saw who is interceding for us, who's praying for us. But then we have the Holy Spirit that is living within us, who is taking what is in us to the Father, and praying for us in those times when we're weak. In those times when we desperately need Him. Here's another picture. When you don't know what to pray, just sit before the Father and, and say, Holy Spirit, I don't even know what to ask. Would you take whatever you know is in deep within me to the Father with groanings too deep for words? Because I don't even know. And there been times in my life when I was facing stuff, and I would be on my knees, and I just all I could say is, "Oh God, oh God, oh God." And in those moments, I know it was the the Holy Spirit was taking with groanings to be because we can't even comprehend the depth of how much God loves us and reaches into our lives and wants to come along and nudge us and help us and strengthen us and guide us, and so that we can survive. And then thrive in Him. In our weakness. He intercedes for us. He's the one that transforms us into Christ-likeness. And and so, let me just say this up front. It is never God's will to stay a baby Christian. It's never God's will just to accept Christ as Savior and then stay there. Mm -hmm. His purpose is to transform us more and more into the image of Christ. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I hope you come to Learning Community because there's so much I'm not going to get to. This is one of the key passages. Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. God did not go to the cross pay the price for your sin, be resurrected, go to the right hand of the Father, send you the Holy Spirit to just sin any way you want. Just to live in sin. I've heard people say, well, you know, I got saved and all my sins are covered, so it doesn't really matter what I do. That's not God's will. It's not to gratify the desires of the flesh for a lot of reasons that we can't get into. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So there's a war here that goes on. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. For if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evidence. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, and there's one. Anything that you put before God is an idol, and that's idolatry. So you're on the list sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. That's one that ought to speak to our culture. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What he's saying is, if you, don't, if you continue in those, it is evidence that the Holy Spirit didn't really fill you. Because, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is this. If we are following Christ and the Holy Spirit is within us, we will be growing in these character qualities. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, it doesn't mean when the Holy Spirit comes in, we're perfect. It means we begin this process of transformation that the Holy Spirit will convict us, put his finger on things, and say, okay, give me that one. But I can't. Good answer. Because we can't. But the Holy Spirit will give us the power to. He wants to have it. Um, he's the organizer and power in, in the body of Christ. He's the one who puts the members in the body, and I put a scripture there. He's the power to work in us and through us. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. This is after Paul had this um, thorn in his side, some, something from Satan. And, and he prays three times that God would take it away. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, It's not me. It's the power of the Holy Spirit doing it through me. So here's here's what I want to challenge you on. If you ever hear one another say, well, I just couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Call them on it. Mm -hmm. If you ever find yourself saying, well, I could never do that. Stop it. Because God can give you the power and the ability to do everything he wants you to do. So as we watched the Wormbrand study, when they were in the Soviet and Nazi prisons and they were experiencing all that, it, there was this, I could almost feel it in the room. Uh, people saying, I could never endure that. And that's the right answer. But Christ in us could. The Wormbrands would tell you they didn't do it. It wasn't their ability. It was the Holy Spirit, uh, Spirit's ability within He provides all we need. He guides us. He provides us. He strengthens. Um, and and there, so, um, John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. If you ever are reading the Bible or you're hearing something, you go, wow, oh, that was an insight. It was the Holy Spirit. Because mm-hmm. you're not that smart. That's why I said last week when Matthew had that great, boy, that's not him. That's the Holy Spirit speaking because it resonates here. When something resonates here, it's because the Holy Spirit in one person is resonating with the Holy Spirit in you. Amen. That's, why, that's why sometimes um, when, when you meet somebody that, you never, that you've never met before and um, there's just, just something there, there's just an affinity and pretty soon you find out, yep, they're a Christ follower as well because it's the Holy Spirit within Some of you, it's because they're a Steeler fan, and you know that they just, you know, you, they, you love the Steelers, they love the Steelers. That's the human level. That's not the Holy Spirit level. He gives us, <laughs> are we sure? Yeah. Ohio State, maybe, You know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's the spirit within us. So anytime we give in to um, weakness or fear, we're saying no to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is offering. And when we make mistakes, that's training. Um, so don't beat yourself up when you, when you don't do it right. But recognize that's God allowing you to experience a stumble and then getting your attention on it, going, okay, what do I do different next time in order to be transformed by the Holy Spirit? Romans 8.37, and all these things we are more than conquerors. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, the power of God is living within us. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds, which is why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about going the second mile, loving your neighbor, uh, forgiving those who hurt you, because our weapons are different. It's a different different way of living. And then Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, says, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You hear, see, this goes back to what I was saying before. When you give yourself to the Holy Spirit, when you're saying yes to the Holy Spirit, when you're striving to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, when every day you begin on your knees and you surrender your life and then you're following the nudges and you're trying so hard to follow him and then it seems like your life is harder, it's because that's the devil's schemes. Because the joy... That, The joy is not our circumstances. Our joy is joy in the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus had. He was driven into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting and war against the enemy by the Spirit. So when things go wrong in our lives, it's not because the Spirit has abandoned us. It's because God is up to something, and the devil always has schemes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our war is against the enemies. Jesus said, It will be to your advantage if I leave, because then I can ask the Father to send the Spirit. And then you will be filled with the Spirit in all that you long for. It's a part of turning that right side up of what happened in Eden. And, and the process of surrendering, listening, and obeying, this process of transformation is that, tra- that process of turning it right side up. Now guard yourself against the enemy saying, well, I could never do that. Just because you haven't experienced doesn't mean it's not true. Because you haven't experienced something doesn't mean it's not true. Where do we get the truth? We get it in the Word of God. Um, uh, interpreted and applied by the Spirit of God within us. And then, so this, here's His promise. To do exceedingly abundantly more than all that we could ask or imagine or think. So my question is, are you experiencing that? I'm not talking about circumstances out here. I'm talking about here, the way that you're living, the, the joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Are you experiencing that? I can't tell you how important this is because this is the power of God. This is what Jesus came to do. And this is what we will experience more and broader and deeper and expanded when we get to eternity. This is God's desire for us to experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only thing He asks is for us to surrender, listen, and obey. Moment by moment, just giving it to Him. He's the one that does it, not me. I think I told you this story, and and this is not to point at me, this is to point at the power of God. When I was growing up, um, I was so shy and backward and socially awkward that I couldn't even talk to aunts and uncles at times. And all of you going, no, you can, yeah, we know you are, that's that. But that's exactly what it was. I remember running off the stage in fifth grade because I wanted so much to sing a solo in my Sunday school class and because I was so frightened. Um, I was backward. I was kind of an outcast in school, everything. Every, if you had looked at me with a, you know, 99 other kids, I would have been the hundredth one that you would have said, that person's going to make his vocation standing in front of people. And then when I was 15 years old, um, through a series of circumstances, um, God put me with a group of, 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 of youth leaders and uh, youth from the church that I was a part of to go on a work camp to Florida after my ninth grade year. And, I, and, and this, this was an insight by, the, by God in just the last couple of years. I got on that bus Shy, backward, I couldn't talk to anybody. By the time we hit the city limits, I was talking to everybody, singing, engaging with people. And and there were a couple of my best friends who knew me. They were a couple years older. They were going, Herb, what has happened to you? Are you on drugs? Did you take something? What is going on? Because there was such a transformation. And I, I didn't realize it until just a couple of years ago. It was in that moment that Pentecost happened. That the Holy Spirit came down on the outskirts of Springfield, Ohio and did something inside my soul to transform me into something that I could never have been otherwise. And that's what God wants to do according to His purposes, according to His way. All I did was say okay. And then He shows up. And I just wonder what God might want to do in all of our lives. Because it's the power of Christ. It's the power of God. It's not us. Would you bow your heads? And I I think all I'm going to challenge you with today is just a willingness to say yes. Yes, God. I don't know what you want to do. I don't know your timing. I don't know how you want to do it. And no matter how scary it might be, Lord, I say yes to you today. All the, that's all the disciples did. Those 120, they just, they just obeyed. They just said, okay, we'll stay in Jerusalem. We're going to hide out and we'll stay in Jerusalem. That's all they did. They just said yes. So in this moment, would you say, Lord, yes. Whatever you want. Because I trust you. I know you're God. I know you love me. I know you have done everything possible to work good in my life. And so I say yes. Lord, you've heard the responses. I pray that you would take those out of your heart of love and your purposes beyond anything we can imagine to work in each one of our lives to do exceedingly abundantly more than all that we could ask or imagine according to your power of your Spirit within us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.